So we're in a series uh, that's all about, uh, about connections, about vital connections uh, with one another uh, and how important that is uh, in our lives because I think we've been in a time over the last several years where we've been divided. And sadly, even within the church, there has been great, great division. Uh, and that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we should come together uh, and make sure our microphones work. Sorry, is that back on? There we go. Um, and, and be the body of Christ together. Togetherness is huge. And so we've been moving through several things, uh, and we're going to pick that up here in just a minute. Uh, but before we get to uh, that part of it, I do want to say just a couple of things. Number one, uh, we have an election coming up. And I don't tell people how to vote, but as citizens of the kingdom, we're called to be good citizens of the nations we live in. And so I want to encourage all of you uh, to vote. Uh, vote your faith, vote your conscience, conscience uh, but, but vote. And there's actually registration forms out and to the left if you're not registered, but, uh, but vote. Let's be, let's be active in our community, amen? Okay, an influence for the kingdom of God. Also, uh, just thank you to all of the volunteers that were involved in Trunk or Treat. You did a great job, and they may doze off during the service because we're all exhausted after all of that, so they get a pass. So let's go to our memory verse uh, today. Um, we have uh, been trying to memorize verses based on the series, and so uh, the, you see it up there. Let's say it together. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So there are how many commandments? Eleven, right. Jesus added that last one that we love one another. So that's right up there with don't steal, honor your father and mother, love one another together. So uh, what I want to talk about today is what I call habits uh, that matter. Uh, and we all have habits. Uh, we tend to think about habits. We often think about things that are maybe uh, negative in our lives, negative habits we have. Uh, but we also have a lot of good habits in our lives, and some of them we're not even aware of. Uh, and some of those habits are, are life-giving to us and maybe essential even to life. So let's, let's talk a little bit of habits. We'll do a little see what your habits are. How many of you eat on a regular basis? Come on, Maurice, put your hands up. Yeah. Uh, so we, that's, that's a good habit. Or, or how many of you drink water on a regular basis? And coffee counts, okay? So good, yeah. By the way, we have free coffee out there if you'd like some, like some coffee. If the sermon gets a little boring and you start dozing off, you can go for the caffeine. How many of you like to sleep on a regular basis or at least semi-regular basis or at least you try to sleep every day? Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> so, so this one I don't want you to, I don't want you to raise your hands, and I don't want you to look at anybody, but, but how many of you wash on a regular basis? That's just kind of a silent one, you know. We Afraid somebody wouldn't be paying attention, forget to raise their hand, and then everybody move away from them. So we do all kinds of things. You probably do something on a regular basis to produce income in your life. These are just things that are so built into our life, they just become a part of us, and they give us life. In fact, they sustain life, and they often lead to the good life, right? Doing those kinds of things. So we just, just have them. They make our lives better. They make our lives possible. We, we also have habits in our relational life that are important, right? Uh, saying hello to your friends, uh, you know, connecting with one another, uh, and being involved with one another's lives, um, you know, uh, doing what your wife says. That will help a lot, guys. Trust me, okay? You know, uh, we spend time with our spouses and with our children. We go to our, our children's. We have, we have habits that are important in life-giving to us. But sometimes we don't even think about the fact that habits are important to our spiritual life. 
But they are, and Scripture really brings that out in us. In fact, they're important for the community as well as for the individuals. In our spiritual lives, there are what I would call uh, spiritual disciplines or holy habits. Say holy habits. Yeah, I, I like that, holy habits. It's easier for me to remember. But they're, they're practices. They're, they're things we do that, that are, are important. Um, and in fact, so many Christians, I find, have very little in the way of holy habits until something goes wrong, and then they practice prayer. Amen? <laughs> I mean, we practice it anyway, but in that moment, we practice it. And so the Bible's just very clear about the importance uh, of practicing these things in our relationship with God as well as our relationship with others. So if you have your Bible, let's turn over to Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 36 through 37. If you've got, there's a Bible in front of you. If you want to use that or you brought your Bible or on your phone, and I'll put the Scripture up here uh, as well. So let me kind of bring you up to speed what's happening in the life of, of uh, the disciples before we get to this passage. So um, Jesus, you know, came to the end of his life, died, rose again, uh, spent time with the disciples. Uh, they watched him ascend in the uh, early part of the, the book of Acts. Uh, and he told them, hey, go and pray uh, until the Comforter comes, the Holy Spirit comes. They probably didn't have a good idea what that was. But they, they went uh, and prayed. They're in, a, in an upper room, probably 120 of them gathered there praying. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes. And you'll remember, there's a rushing mighty wind and cloven tongues of fire on them, and some of them that were afraid to, to do anything or acknowledge Jesus all of a sudden become great preachers. They pour out of that place into the streets uh, there, and they, everybody who hears them preach is hearing it in their own language, and it records that there were people from all over the world uh, in, in that place. Uh, and so finally, Peter, who not very long ago had been afraid of a little uh, servant girl, now stands up and preaches to thousands of, of people uh, in that place. And so that's what's kind of come uh, ahead of this passage we're looked at. And he basically preaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, you you all killed Messiah. You, you killed the Savior of the world, and, and he kind of lays it on our sins. Uh, he says, but God raised him from, from the dead, and therefore we can have a life uh, that is eternal. We can have new life. We can be new creations, uh, and kind of talks about the idea that death is the natural consequence uh, of sin, uh, and, and he offers them this resurrection life. Uh, and in fact, I think uh, this next little bit that we're going to read uh, has to be maybe the, the second most exciting place in Scripture. The first has to be the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? And we love Easter because we celebrate that the power of sin and death is broken and Jesus is alive. But, but look at, at, at this passage. Okay, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified in both Lord and Messiah. So he is the Savior. Messiah means Savior for them. And there, there's an important truth that we need to get before we go anywhere with all the rest of this foundational truth of, G of Christianity. Jesus is is Lord. Man, let's say it together. Jesus is Lord. He is King of kings. He's creator and sustainer of all things. He's one part of the Trinity. He is the true and living God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And when we are talk about entering into relationship with Jesus, we are entering into relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I mean, that. just think about that for a second. The creator of the universe invites you into personal relationship with him. Talk about connections, man. Man, I got connections. I'm connected to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you know? 
Some of you think, well, I'm connected to the mayor. Or the, you know, that's nothing. I, I got the one that, that, that's over all of that. And Peter is saying, and that is available to you as well. And so verse 37, here's the question. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other pro- apostles, and here's the question, the question through all time, brothers, and I should say brothers and sisters, what shall we do in response to that? What shall we do? They've been cut to the heart, and and now they want to know what their response is. The Holy Spirit is convicting them and saying, you got a problem that you need to change. You have an opportunity here to make a difference in in your life. And I love Peter's reply. This is such good news. There's the cut to the heart. Uh, What shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Repent and be baptized. And I love that it says repent. Say repent. Yeah, there's this kind of pop theology that goes around in our culture these days that makes it all about forgiveness, right? And so if the person who committed the sin asks for forgiveness, then you have to forgive them, and it's all better. Except it's not all better, because that's not what the Bible says to do. The Bible says, repent. And repent is the idea of forsaking our sins, of, of, of the destructive uh, things in our life. It's a military word that means to turn around and, and to go the other direction. And, and so this idea just of, of easy, like I'm just going to get forgiveness, I'm going to do it again, I'm going to get forgiveness, and I'm going to do it again, and I got you trapped because you got to forgive me. That is not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we are to repent, to forsake, to turn away. And, and it goes on to say, uh, and, and be baptized. So baptized, baptism is an important part of this, this kind of formula. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But it's so much more than just a, a, a proclamation. There's some rich stuff in, in baptism. But, but I love that he also says, uh, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every one of you that have asked Christ into your life, the Spirit of the living God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, dwells in you. What an amazing sort of thing. How dare we take our faith lightly we literally become the hands and feet of Jesus. We, we carry Christ into everything we do and everywhere we go and we are his representative and he guides us and we have this powerful spiritual thing in us. He dwells in us and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God that, that dwells in us. Every one of you, it, it says, that he has given to us. And, and get this, it, does, it doesn't end with just you individually get this. He goes on to say, and the promise is for you and your children and your children from generation to generation to generation. Don't you love that the faith is generational? I, 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 the more I dwell in this and maybe just the more I get older, the more I understand the power of this. And I, I've told you this before, but I absolutely believe that God works generationally to fulfill his vision. Remember the story of, of, of David who wanted to build the temple, right? Well, who actually built the temple? His son, Solomon, was birthed in one generation and fulfilled in another generation. We are so stuck on ourselves, we think that if God gives us a vision, it has to be completed in our lifetime because it's all about us, right? Right? 
I've told you in my own life, my parents felt called to be medical missionaries in their lives and, and go and serve in Africa and in one of the hospitals we have in, in Africa. And it was circumstances in my dad's life just meant that that never quite worked out like that. And then their, pastor be, their son became a pastor, so no hope of a medical missionary there. And one day, my church that I was a part of got hooked up with a, with a doctor in Brazil in that church, and I got to be a part of planning one of the very first clinics for the poor in that part of Rio de Janeiro. And my name and the name of my church is on the plaque that's on the front. God birthed the vision in one generation and fulfilled it in the next. So these are such great words for you and your children. Think about your children. This promise is for them as well as for you, that the Spirit would come, that he would radically change our lives, and he will do that in our children's lives and our children's, li children's, children's lives and our children's, children's, children's lives. And I love when we sing the song that talks about for a thousand generations. Somebody say amen because that's really good news, okay? Man, that God would do this in us. What a great and awesome God we serve uh, in, in, in just in so, so many ways. I'd love to just kind of stick there for a while, uh, but, but I can't. So let's move on. Uh, for all who are far off. So now he talks about not only our own children and our, our crowd, right? But now he's talking about everyone who, who is in all the different countries around the world. If you remember the beginning of this passage, it kind of gave a list of all the people that were there at Pentecost that would then spread out uh, around the world. And so the gospel is for everyone in every country and every culture and every language and every way of doing things that's different from ours. Praise God. Amen. Man, we get to heaven. I'm pretty sure he's going to mix us all up, all our mansions up, so you got people from different cultures all around you. Wouldn't that be fun? Come on. Wouldn't that be fun? Imagine the neighborhood potlucks, folks. It's going to be good stuff in all of that. So then he goes on. And he said, uh, so becoming a Christian means embarking on a personal relationship with the God of the universe. Becoming a Christian means embarking on, the personal, in a, on a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And so I, I just want to be really clear about that. There, there needs to be a time in your life when you decide to step over the line and follow Jesus. And it's easy to do religion and, and all of those sorts of things. But there comes a time when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and begins to talk about you about some things that are in your life and a change that, that needs to be made. And, and the Holy Spirit invites you to take that opportunity to step into life with, with him, to embark on a relationship. That's not the end of the relationship. That's the beginning. But it's a personal relationship. And I want to invite you this morning, if you do not know Christ personally, maybe you know religion, maybe you've studied theology, maybe you've been going to church all of your life, but you know that there is something missing, I am telling you, it is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And at the end of this service, we're going to have a time of prayer, and I and at least one of our elders will be up here, and we'll give you an opportunity if you'd like to pray with us or you'd like to pray at the, uh, uh, at the pews down in front. But I want you to consider that if you do not know Jesus Christ personally, that this morning is the time because he's here and he's moving and he's calling you into personal relationship with he who is the creator of the universe, okay? Then the Holy Spirit isn't your servant. You are the Holy Spirit's servant. Men, he is God and we are not. And we follow him. 
He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and we serve at the pleasure uh, of our King. Uh, it bothers me sometimes when I bump across theology that kind of turns it upside down and makes, makes God our servant. It's kind of the idea that, that somehow God is a vending machine, and if we can just put in the right sort of things in the vending machine of God and punch the right buttons, that God will give us what we want, kind of the health and wealth kind of gospel that's out there. Now, I am here to tell you that the best life you can possibly have is following Jesus. But you do it on his terms. He is king. He is Lord in our lives. There's nothing wrong with asking, but it's a parent-child relationship, and he works in us. Never forget, Jesus is Lord, and you are not. We serve the king of the universe. Then, then verse 40 comes up. It says, with many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them. This is Peter. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So I love this. Those who accepted his message were, what's the word? Baptized. So again, he's looping back to this baptism sort of thing. So in Greek, there's a couple of ways they emphasize things. One of them is they always put the most important thing first. Okay, so if there's a list of names, so Paul and Saul and, and all that sort of thing. But the second way they emphasize things is through repetition, right? They, they say it over and over. And so baptism comes back up again. He says, this is an, a, an important time uh, that you do, that you accept Jesus Christ, his message, and that you are, are baptized. And here's why this is important. I have a really good pastor friend that says this all the time. When we are baptized, something happens in the water. I am absolutely persuaded that that is true. I have baptized a lot of people in the course of my lifetime. And I was baptized as a 12-year-old uh, way, way like 100 years ago when I was 12. And I, and I remember it. it. It's all in my mind. Because I, I attended a, a small Nazarene church. And back in those days, they didn't even build baptismals into our churches. Not sure why, but, but they didn't. And so for me to be baptized with a couple of other teens in our youth group, we had to go to the Baptist church because they always have a baptistry, you know? I remember getting in the back and it was the water and, and all that and the, the, the pastor was so influential in my life, Don Castle, baptizing me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the right formula and all of that coming up out of the water and those people cheering for me and all of that. And you know what? Something happened in the water. Something happened to me in the water. And we've had this lived out in our congregation in so many ways. I've had a number of you come to me and say, okay, I'll get baptized, you know, because and, and, I'm always bugging you about it. And, and you're like, well, you know, okay, it, we'll get wet. It's, that's a big deal. I keep saying something happens in the water, and you're all like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I, we baptize you, and a couple of days later, you, you come back to me, and you say, you know, Pastor, I got baptized mostly just to get you to quit bugging me about it. But you were right. Something happened in the water. You see, we believe baptism is a sacrament. It's an encounter with the living God that happens. And so I don't explain, I can't explain all of that. There's lots of mystery in Christian faith. But I'm telling you, in the New Testament, they talk a lot about believe and be baptized. And so it's important to, if you have not been baptized, I want to encourage you uh, to be baptized. If you know Christ is your Savior and you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you to do that. Let me know. Put it on a card, and we'll connect with you on that. So here's what they did now that all of that's over, now that they've uh, 
uh, baptized the, the people through all of that. They devoted themselves. Here are the practices that lead to the early Christian community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many, at many wonders uh, and signs performed by the apostles. So let's look at this real quickly. They devoted themselves. Now, devoted is a word we don't use a whole lot in modern language, but it carries the idea to, to adhere to something, uh, to be an ad, adherent to that, uh, a constant to it. it, it it's, this is the way I think about it in just the modern language. Um, I, I, uh, I was at just the right age to be experimental when this new thing came out on the market called super glue. How many of you ever heard of super glue? Yeah. How many of you ever stuck your fingers together with super glue? Oh, good. People like me. You're my people. When it, when it talks about this idea of devoted, it's super glue. It's the idea that of, of really bringing something together. So it says when they devoted themselves, it wasn't just casual about any of these things. This was a, a serious thing they became obedient to. That's the idea uh, of devoted. They became devotees. In fact, uh, the early Christians were called followers of the way because they patterned their life after Jesus, right? Even before they were called Christians, that's what they were called. And, and in modern days, we have things that we sometimes call the rule of life. When I was in seminary, I got introduced to the rule of life. And so here's what the rule of life is. It's a schedule and set of practices and relational rhythms that help us create space in our busy world to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. So here are the, here's the rule of life, the early practices of the church. There's what I call, uh, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's one, okay? And to fellowship, and to breaking of bread, okay? and to prayer. Those are, the, those are the four. So let's look at these in a little more detail. Four pillars of the, they devoted their life to oneness. This is what creates the oneness, the community that's so important to them. Number one, the teaching of the Bible, which is the apostles' teaching. You all understand that the New Testament, one of the tests for something to get into the New Testament was that it had to be uh, either written by an apostle or under the authority of apostle. So we are apostolic in that we believe that the apostles were the ones who were commissioned by Jesus to teach us the message of Jesus. Amen? So we follow that. That's why we say that, that, that Scripture is the final authority on all things relating to spiritual life and practice. Amen? Okay? We don't necessarily think it's the final authority on engineering, because I don't know any engineers that want to measure in cubits, right? But, but it's the final authority on all things relating to spiritual life and practice. So they devoted themselves to this. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. So uh, can I encourage you as a pastor, and I know this is going to sound cliche, you should read your Bible every once in a while. You should read the New Testament, because that's where there's a lot of good stuff. But if you really want to have fun, you should read the Old Testament. There's really good stuff in there, and I'll just leave it at that. No spoilers, okay? So uh, they voted themselves to regularly engage in fellowship. That's koinonia. Get this, okay? God has told us to devote ourselves to having a good time together. And what do we call that around here? Holy party. Say holy party. Yes, I love this. One of the key disciplines for us as followers of Jesus Christ is that we get together and we have fun together. You know, of all of these disciplines, it's like, I can do that one. That one I can do. Get together, laugh, enjoy one another. Koinonia, connected love for one another. Social gatherings matter to the kingdom of God and to your spiritual life. Social gatherings matter to the kingdom of God and your devotional life so high that if they could pick four disciplines, 
That's one of them. Think about that for a minute, okay? And then they devoted themselves to sharing meals, breaking bread together. I love this one. Whenever we get together and share a meal together, so th- basically this says potlucks are of God. <laughs> Woohoo! You know? And, and you, you know, we kind of laugh about that. And eventually this actually kind of becomes communion, you know? But it is to say that that breaking, but there's something about that when we share a meal together that's just really powerful. And we've got to figure out how to do this again. We've got to figure out ways to go to lunch together or have people in your home or do barbecues in the backyard or, or, or whatever it is with your, with your life group, with your small group. Just break bread together. Share. share in su- Don't look at me like that. I know some of you can really cook, man. We should share our bread together. We should break bread together. It's a spiritual discipline in our lives. And then they devoted themselves to frequent communication with the God of the universe, to prayer, to connecting with God. We need to continue to pray. We have an emphasis that happens in the the spring that we do as a church, but we need to pray all of the time together. Uh, We need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying about one another, if you want. We need to be praying all the time for our world because we live in a very broken world, amen? Should, it should drive us to our knees. We, just, we should pray more. And by, and by the way, just this may be my, only, my personal sort of thing, but like when I used to hear these things about prayer, it was all about you had to go someplace and get on your knees and preferably in a closet somewhere. And it was so freeing when I discovered that you can pray walking down the road, you know? You can pray driving your cars. Don't close your eyes, but you can pray driving your car down the road. You can pray anywhere doing any sort of thing. You can pray when you get on that. When you go to the gym, you can pray. (laughs) Boy, did that produce guilt. Real quiet in here, you know. You can pray everywhere. So to pray, 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 pray everywhere we go, okay? And then now verse 44. All the believers were together. Mention the together again. Have you noticed this is like the third time the together word has come up? And had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give anyone who was in need. So here's what I want to say about togetherness. Togetherness is foundational to being a follower of Jesus. Togetherness is foundational to being a follower of Jesus. I'm not really persuaded you can be a follower of Jesus on your own. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. There's kind of this cultural idea that says, hey, my religion is private, and I, I'm a Christian, but I don't really go to church, and I don't connect with other people, and I don't talk about all of that. I'm going like, I've been through the Bible more times than most people, and I don't see that anywhere. It's just not there. We're called to togetherness. You don't have to be a part of a big church. You can be a part of a little church. You can even be part of like a, a home church because most of them were part of like home churches. But we need each other in order to follow Jesus. Okay? There's just so many dynamics that go with that. Part of it is, is the, just the support of one another. And honestly, part of it is learning how to live in community with one another. Because if you live on your own and your religion is private, you never learn what it's like to deal with an unbeliever who irritates the tar out of you. And that's good for you, amen? <laughs> amen, okay, yeah, we'll just kind of go with that, okay? So, just to say it another way, Christianity is not an individualistic, uh, individualistic. there's no private religion in Christianity. And then, I, I love that in this passage, generosity is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit in us and the people of God near us, 
right? It says that they sold stuff in order to support one another because they had come. And people get all excited, like, well, that's pretty radical. But you got to remember in the first century, they didn't really have banks to store cash. And with inflation, all those kinds of things, if you had extra cash, you tended to buy something that would hold its value. And property was one of the best things you could do. So when it says they sold property, it's like they went to the bank and made a major withdrawal. Every once in a while, God calls us to give in a significant way. Not one single amen. So let's try this again. Every once in a while, God calls you to give in a significant way. Okay, That's okay. Your resources come from God anyway, okay? And so that's what they were doing. There were just things that came up. The, 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 the need was great. And so some of them would, would, would give in a significant way. And I'm absolutely persuaded that, that this is proportional to, to your, your position in life, right? You know, what Jody and I can give at this stage in life is not what we could give when we got right out of school, okay? It's just, it's different and, it, and, and it's okay for us. So now, next verse. Every day they continued to meet together. Meet together, say meet together. You think he's kind of pounding the pulpit on this one? I can just see him on this. In the temple courts, they broke bread. Okay, they're having meals together. Again, this kind of becomes a communion. In their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Okay, so let's draw some applications real quick from this. Uh, uh, verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So love of God in each other expressed in oneness is attractive to unbelievers. You want, a, you want an evangelism program? It's not going to be, you know, how to do the four spiritual laws or the three spiritual laws or figure out how to say it better. What we need to figure out how to do is to love one another better and to love our community better. Amen? That's what it says over and over. They will know you are Christians by your great preaching. Nope. They will know you are Christians by your great music. Nope. They will know you are Christians by your great crowds. Nope. They will know you are Christians by your... Love, exactly right. Love for one another and love for God. And then because Christianity is relational, it requires vital connections with brothers and sisters in Christ. Want to know where I got the vital connections on our sermon series title? That's it right there. Vital connections uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't know what that looks like. It looks like different for, for all kinds of uh, people and all kinds of different sorts of ways, but it is essential to who we are as followers of Jesus, okay? And then how, you can, um, how can you connect or deepen your relationship with siblings in Christ? This is the question. And I want to pause right here because I really want you to answer this question, not out loud. But this is the question that ties it all together. How can you reconnect, because we've been disconnected, or deepen your relationship with siblings in Christ? You know, I think it's going to require um, reorganizing our schedules. One of the things that's happened with Sunday morning church is that during COVID, people just got out of the habit. They just, they, they filled up the time. They're going and doing that. Nothing, they didn't fill it up with bad stuff. It's not like they went out and decided to live a life of wickedness. But they just kind of got it filled up. And, and now you've got to kind of reorganize and reprioritize that time together as the body of Christ. Small groups, same sort of thing. Couldn't get together and that sort of thing. And, and we just kind of got busy and sort of thing. And now trying to pull them back together is hard. What do we have to do? We have to prioritize it again. And that's the key word. It's a hard word. But when you think about the four things that they are told to make priorities, two of them involve togetherness. Fellowship and breaking bread together. It's so important to the body of Christ. So I ask you again, how can you reconnect or deepen your relationship with your siblings in Christ? And then the final question I always ask at the end, 
What is Jesus asking you to do with what you've heard today? If our musicians could come, we're going to sing together in just a minute. And um, we're going to have a time of prayer at the end. The, uh, you used to say the altars are open. Uh, but what we mean by that is if you would like to come and pray, we're going to be available. You can either pray by yourself. The pews are more comfortable than right up here, but you can pray at either place. And we're going to have a couple of us uh, up here to pray with you. Uh, and Christina, you're the elder, female elder I can see, so we'll have a woman, and, and I'll be up here uh, as well. Uh, and if you would like to pray with us, you, you're welcome to do that. You're welcome to pray on your own. But, but here's what I especially want to come back to. If you don't know what it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this morning would be a great time to enter into it. If, if you're doing religion without a personal relationship with Christ, you're missing the best part. I mean, the religion is kind of the hard part. The, the relationship with Christ is what makes all of the rest of it flow. And I would invite you to come, and, and we would be happy to pray with you. You can pray on your own. But I invite you with that same invitation of Peter that you come and you experience the resurrected Christ. Let me pray for you. Father God, Lord, togetherness is so important to us, and yet we live in a culture that kind of thinks that we should be separated from one another, that we don't want to get too close, that we don't want to risk anything. And when we do that, we just miss out on all that you would have for us. But most importantly, the intimacy we miss that is the greatest is the intimacy with you. And so, Father, I know most people here are already followers of you. But Father, I pray specifically this morning for that one. They've listened to the message and they know that there's something more that they need in their life. Maybe they've been religious all of their life, but they've never really come to know you personally. I pray, Father, now that by your Spirit, you would gently and warmly call them into relationship with you. And Father, if they need to pray with someone, Lord, that you'd open our hearts to one another in this moment. We give you this time and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.